the health of our mitochondria and how much energy our mitochondria can produce is really fundamental to the health of our cells and our body. And we age because our mitochondria age and become dysfunctional. And we develop diseases because of that as well. You're listening to the High Performance Health Podcast, helping you optimize your health, performance, and longevity. My name is Angela Foster, and I'm a former corporate lawyer and high performance health coach. Each week, I bring you cutting edge biohacks, inspiring insights, and high performance habits to unlock optimal health, performance, and longevity. So excited that you've chosen to join me today. Now let's dive in. Hi friends, I recently read a really interesting book called Your Pristine Blueprint by Dr. Beth McDougall and I had to invite her on the show because she's got a really super interesting outlook on health and the intersection of biology and physics and human consciousness and she illustrates it all really powerfully through her book and in this week's episode we talk about that, we talk about the science of longevity but also the holistic aspects and the way consciousness interweaves with that. Really, really interesting episode. I think you're going to get a lot of value from it. So without further delay, let me introduce you now to Dr. Beth McDougall. So Beth, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. I've been really looking forward to this interview. After I read your book, I was just, it's, it's a transformational book. And I have to say, there isn't there isn't another book that I found quite like it out there. I think that's what's so fascinating about it. So I knew that I wanted to have you on the show. Um, firstly, a very warm welcome. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's awesome to have you here. We were talking a little bit offline there around um, how healing happens. And I know that you went through your own healing journey. I think that's probably a really good place to start um, and how you overcame the, the battles that you had. Yeah, okay, thank you. Well, I, I'll i just back up a little before that and just say that I kind of came into this life with a pretty profound awareness of the energetic nature of reality. It just was very, very apparent to me, even as a small child. And then I went to medical school and, you know, went to through internal medicine training and just kind of went the kind of standard medical training. But in in the background, I had been immersing myself in uh, nutritional biochemistry, a lot of like kind of holistic modalities, understanding about kind of like, you know, mind, body, spirit, and just just how and disease can originate on an energetic level. Um, so I, and, and so I, I had, I was kind of blending the, the information in my training anyway. So I came out of practice, uh, you know, out of residency in 1998 and started practicing in an integrative medical clinic in San Francisco. And, um, life was really good. I was working on a physical level with people primarily, but thinking pretty holistically about their physical body. And then all of a sudden in 2004, it just, you know, kind of like the record scratched. It, I just had a, a health challenge that came out of seemingly nowhere. I was um, seeing a patient one day and all of a sudden I couldn't move my hand and then luckily we were just almost at the end of the appointment. So we stood up to walk out and I, my foot wasn't working correctly. And then I realized my tongue wasn't moving properly. And I immediately like told my staff to call my, my husband. And, and, and then I thought, let me draw my blood before I go to the hospital, because I think I could have gotten Lyme disease because I was camping a couple of weeks prior. 
So I drew my blood, went to the hospital, had a multi-thousand dollar workup. Um, they first thought I had a brainstem stroke, then thought thought not, but you know, had every test you can imagine. And then I left the hospital with no answers, still not being able to kind of grip my sandal and still not moving properly and really concerned. And and then my couple of weeks later, my Lyme testing came back negative, uh, positive for Lyme disease. So, so I knew that's what it was. And I was friends with a lot of colleagues in the Bay Area that were kind of Lyme specialists. And they advised me to get on to really high dose antibiotics because it was in the central nervous system. And then, you know, they, they said, this is serious. You got to You got to do this treated aggressively right away. So I started on to antibiotics and I had the worst reactions possible to them. Like I had kind of actually life-threatening reactions to one of them and like was throwing clots in my, like could see the clots in my beds of my fingernails. I mean, it was just very dangerous and terrible. So I stopped. I was like, okay, I cannot do this. This is not going to work for me. And I don't really like this paradigm anyway of chemical warfare in my body. Like there's a pathogen and I need to treat it chemically and kind of poison my whole system at the same time. And I, and I'll say that and just say like, there's still places for antibiotics. I'm not against antibiotics, but for me at that moment, it wasn't the right approach. So then I began doing a whole bunch of like, you know, kind of alternative modalities, like, but they were still very physically based. It was like herbs and homeopathy and then oxidative treatments and all of that. And I wasn't getting that far um, in terms of healing. And so I, I returned to kind of my childhood knowing about the nature of health and disease and the nature of the energetic nature of reality and began working with energy practitioners. And actually that's when I had traction. I found I could, I could turn my symptoms around on a dime if I embodied fully and kind of monitored my my thoughts and kind of my emotional responses to those thoughts. I was able to kind of tune into my energetic anatomy and really begin to understand the biography, my personal biography that I had stored in my anatomy and how that was actually leading to my symptomatology. So it was like, I really feel that when you have, let's say like a trauma in your childhood or, you know, even large or small, it doesn't really matter. Um, you begin, if you're not equipped fully to deal with that trauma or with the emotional responses that the, that, that experience engenders, you tend to store the energetics of that in your energetic anatomy. And then that begins to translate into physical symptoms. A lot of times you'll see it translating into a person's posture, for example, you know, like their, their, their childhood experiences and their familial programming and things like that, that dictate how a person begins to feel about themselves is very much translated into how they hold themselves in the body. You know, people, some people have a, you know, kind of weight of the world on their shoulders and they have a, like a shoulder, you know, their shoulders are up or their head is forward or, you know, they're, they're kind of protecting their heart or, you know, you can just, or they're yeah, auto and they're really puffed out in the chest. And, you know, some people walk 
with like kind of with their legs out in front of them and their body behind. Some people are like forward looking down at the ground. You know, you can really begin to start to read how how that person's personal experiences have translated into how they hold themselves. And so when you have like emotional holding patterns in the physical structure, it begins to dictate how energy flows within the body. Like if you even think about the energetic meridians that we have, you know, like from Chinese medicine standpoint, some of them get blocked off when there's just a lot of tension in certain areas. And then if you develop an infection, that's where the organisms like to collect. So it's very symbolic where, for example, if you develop Lyme disease, where you have your symptoms. Some people have like profound neck pain. Some people have, you know, pain in a different part of the body, like a knee or a hip. Other people, the, their their symptoms are primarily neurological and other people, you know, it affects kind of their gastrointestinal system or their heart or, you know, so you, so you, you begin to kind of start to read the energy in the body. And in my case, I was able to develop a meditative practice that allowed me to kind of spend a lot of time in my body and energetic anatomy and begin to become aware of foreign energy in my system or energy that was non-beneficial and how to kind of tune into that, understand what it was there to teach me, and then learn how to ground that off and clear that so that energy could flow freely again. And when energy was flowing freely, the, the circulation would improve, the immune system could go in there and like get to work and take care of the pathogens that were stored there. And that type of work aligned with, you know, some physical support was what brought me through the process. And Interesting. All it's so fascinating. We were talking about how we had similar kind of journeys in a way on, on, on sort of overcoming health, um, health battles, when you were, when you were using that meditative experience and you were kind of going inward, were you reaching that point where you were kind of getting beyond the physical body as well, where you, I'm just, I'm just curious. Cause for me, I feel like we're so sort of judging of ourselves, right. And, and so much in the physical world and then whenever I've done kind of got to that place of peace, everything else just falls away. It's like everything melts away. And there really is only love when you strip everything back. That's where I've got to. And that's happened when I had my, my experience in hospital, but also when I've been under, for example, deep hypnosis after a sort of a few hours, you can reach that position. I'm just curious what that experience was like for you when you got in touch energetically. Oh, that's beautiful. Yes, there was a little bit of melding into the vibration of love and kind of the creative force of the universe. But I will also say the majority of the time was very much pulling my energetic system, my my soul, let's say, down into my physical form. Because so many of us are not fully embodied um, maybe because of the experiences we've had and kind of the collection of the unmetabolized emotional signatures in the body, it becomes somewhat uncomfortable to be fully present within the physical form. And 
in order to heal, it requires your presence. Mm. In order to clear infections, you have to own your space. You have to fully own it. And um, so I would say the majority of the meditations that I was doing at that time were were uh, kind of body-centered and pulling, clearing stuck energy within the system and grounding fully into my physical form kind of coming into it what were Mm -hmm. the what was the type of meditation that you were using there to do that I would sit um, and first work on establishing my grounding field which is like a martial art it's the you know so many of us need to work on that where I you know just really envisioned kind of dropping a grounding anchor deep into the earth and then expanding the the kind of diameter of that to encompass to be wider than my my physical body and energetic field, and then bringing a column of earth kind of vibration and earth energy up to to surround and encompass my entire body and energetic field, and bringing that all the way up above my head, so that that my whole energetic system was kind of influenced by that that slow um, nourishing vibration of the earth and then when there when there is that grounding connection established then if you begin to kind of tune into what is your unique signature and then kind of add mix that with the earth signature as well so that you've got you you become aware of your unique um energetic signature and vibration and then if you tune into your system, you can find areas in the body where you're holding things that are neither the earth signature or your personal signature. You, you know, you may sense dissonance on some level. And it, sometimes there's a physical symptom that will go along with it. Like you, if you tune in, you may notice that you're kind of holding tension in your solar plexus or um or pain in a body part, or um, there's a feeling of absence in the lower part of your body, for example, or um, kind of like static or noise in your nervous system. Or So there's sometimes like a physical manifestation of it as well. But then if you really go into that and listen to it, as opposed to trying to constantly avoid that, like be almost med- numb yourself or medicate or run away from that, but you go into it fully. And it's almost like if you have anyone who's had a child, if you have a screaming toddler, if you just bend down and kind of listen, they often calm down. So, so it's like, it's that same way in your body. There's this part of you, there's this, that's trying to get your attention. So if you tune into it, often that there's something that will be communicated. And then you've learned what you needed to learn from that. And then you can let it go. And if you've established that earth connection, you can just intend for that that dissonant energy to ground down into the earth and the earth will willingly and lovingly take and transmute that for you. And you can just flush your body and pull all of that dissonance out. If you listen to this podcast, you're probably like me, a busy mom, entrepreneur, biohacker, or other high performer. And that requires a huge amount of energy and resilience to deal with life's challenges on a daily basis. 
There are two key supplements that I love that help me to do this. The first is Biostat Labs NAD Regen, which supports NAD in the body. NAD is known as the molecule of youth and is critical for energy. Taking NAD Regen helps me maintain high energy every day so I can achieve more in my business and also show up better for my family, all while protecting my longevity and avoiding burnout. The second is GDAID, Biostat Labs' unique blood sugar formulation. Managing your blood sugar is also essential for high energy cognition and longevity. GDAID combines dihydroberberine, often called nature's metformin, with the very best ingredients for all-round metabolic health. This product is like having your cake and eating it. I take NAD Regen in the morning and GDA just before my most carb-heavy meal of the day to blunt the glucose spike. And now I want to help you to support your energy, metabolism, and longevity so you can truly show up as your best self. So I've organized a unique offer for you, my listeners, that's not available anywhere else. When you purchase two bottles of NAD Regen, Biostat Labs will send you a free bottle of GDA. Simply go to biostatlabs.com forward slash Angela to get your free bottle. That's biostatlabs.com forward slash Angela to get your exclusive offer. I'm inviting you to join our newly opened High Performance Health Facebook group, where we're all about unlocking our utmost potential. If you are a fellow biohacker, a coach, or a woman with an entrepreneurial spirit looking for peak performance, and our community of ambitious women is just for you. But it's not just about connecting with like-minded women. It's about empowering each other. We have weekly live training, Q&As, and a bunch of other exclusive content that I don't get the chance to share anywhere else. New biohacks I'm exploring, plus extra nuggets of wisdom from my podcast guests and so much more. It's free to join. Simply click the top link in the show notes or go to angelafoster.me forward slash HP. That's angelafoster.me forward slash HPH or click the top link in the show notes. And once inside, send me a message so we can connect personally. I can't wait to see you there. And how often do you, is that something that you now do as an ongoing basis? Absolutely. I do it every day. Every day? Every single day. At least once, you know, I wake up and, and the first thing I do in the morning is meditate. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> it gets me out of bed I'm like oh you know and I plan to before I have to have, go anywhere in the morning I always set my alarm like at least a couple hours before that so that I can do my whole morning practice of like waking up meditate and I like to go outside put my feet on the grass no matter how cold it is um you know kind of watch the sunrise if it's that time of the year or um, you know, at least be out doing some stretching on the lawn. You know, we've learned so much about how that hooks us in with the, the kind of circadian rhythm of the planet and really begins to regulate our circadian rhythm and begins to inform our energy in the day and how well we sleep at night. So it's vital, vital for the health of our mitochondria, vital for, for our circadian rhythm. Yeah, I'd love to spend a bit of time there then. So tell me, when you wake up in the morning, you the first thing you do is it is to meditate. I'd love to hear how you um how you set up your morning routine for that kind of balanced energy throughout the day. Okay, full disclosure, I wake up and I go get a cup of coffee because I love it. And I have this practice where um in my household we we roast our own beans 
Um, if you roast your own beans, they are literally one of the, the world's greatest superfoods because they're just loaded with antioxidants and vitamins and, and minerals and things. And many, many of the nutrients are lost it, after about 10 days. So if you can okay. roast your beans and then, you know, brew your own coffee or make a cold brew, which is what we do, um, you will, you will get a lot of nutrients that way. So I do, I do the coffee with some homemade um, milks that we make. Uh, I do a, uh, right now a macadamia nut milk and that way you're avoiding all the seed oils and the, 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 the gums and fillers and additives that are added to different milks and out there in the market right now. So do a little bit of that. I sit down in meditation and clear my field ground, you know, do work on my chakras, my auric field. And, and then I, do often... you have the coffee before the meditation? Yeah. Pretty interesting. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. But actually more and more people that I talk to mm. yeah, that have big practices do that. And it's just more like, almost like, you know, kind of brings, brings you very, very alert and present. And then, and then I, I apply that alertness to the surveillance of my own field and, mm. and the clearing of it. And then there's moments, not, you know, not the whole time, but, you know, if I'm lucky, I'll have like, portions of that time where then I'm just kind of melding into oneness with the field itself, the, the field of energy and information that we live within and that we're derived from. And so I'll have kind of like that moments or segments of my time where I'm kind of really connected with that and feel that connection and appreciate that connection. And that brings me into a state of, uh, you know, kind of gratitude and love and bliss. And then, you know, I move from there to out to the yard and watching the sunrise. And just that is, makes me so happy to be alive and to be on this planet and to be nourished by the energy of the sun. And, you know, we would not be here if it wasn't for the sun. So establishing the connection between life our life and the sun and how you know much nourishment we receive is is i think a very important thing i love that so then yeah. you're outside on the with feet on the floor grounding and stretching on the ground, yeah, grounding stretching sun gazing a little bit um and that you know with your eyes open so that you're really pulling those photons in through the eyes it's it's so important you don't have to stare right at the sun unless you're into the, the sun gazing practice, but what you only want to do right around the time of the sunrise or the sunset. Um, but it is, it is our, our relationship to the sun is absolutely vital. It's fascinating. The sun has um, a cycle and the sun is going through a period of, very, of, of intense activity. You know, so it's like a 5,000 year type cycle. And um, we're moving into this point where the sun is, you know, emitting a lot more, you know, there's, there's mass solar ejections, there's, there's like a variety of types of information and energy being emitted from the sun. And I strongly feel that this is an opportunity for us to, to um, kind of take in more information into our system so that we have, we have what we need to evolve 
consciously as a species. Awesome. I want to talk a little bit more about that um, in a in a moment. After after you've done the grounding practice, do you then um, do any kind of formal exercise routine, or is that later oh, in the day? I definitely do. I do that later in the day. Um, but in a perfect world, if I had all the time in the world, I would probably do morning and later because mm. I just love exercising. So, but I do a, a pretty vigorous kind of like stretching in the morning. And then, and then always at the end of my workday, go work out, whether it's going to the gym or doing a dance class or going out on the mountain here and running on the trails or um, going to the beach, walking and running on the beach or something like that. A quite vigorous activity kind of to, yeah. to round off the day. Yeah, because I have I have just jam-packed days. You know, I'm seeing patients all day and doing meetings whenever I'm not seeing a patient. And uh, and I have a lot of energy I need to kind of blow off at the end of the day. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so let's talk about your your practice because it's really, really interesting, all of the kind of treatments and things that you have there. I know that you, we, when we were talking earlier, you were saying you started uh, more in the hormone space with mm-hmm. bioidentical hormone therapy. Um, I've had quite a few questions from uh, from listeners and program members around hormones mm. um, in, in preparation for this interview. Um, for women who are in their 40s, the big and, and their 50s, right? They're in and around that kind of perimenopause stroke, menopause age. Um, I think the biggest question on most women's minds is, and, and that I've had a lot come in on, is when is the right time to think about hormone therapy? At what point is that right? For, and how can we take a truly individualistic approach uh, for, for the woman herself? Yeah, it does need to be individualized because not all women need to start hormone therapy, you know, when they're perimenopausal, but some definitely do. And so it's really based on how the woman feels. So is the woman having, um, let's say, worsening PMS as she she heads toward menopause? Um, is she having periods in the month where her estrogen is dipping below a threshold that then begins to create symptoms for her? Is she having you know periods in the month where she has hot flashes, night sweats, insomnia, irritability? Are there times when she's worried about her memory or is she beginning to have like depression or anxiety or headaches? Um, you know, those, those low estrogen symptoms um, can become more frequent in the perimenopausal period. A woman may have a kind of erratic ovarian function where some months they, she might have very normal you know, hormone levels and be asymptomatic. And then she might go through uh, a couple months of a missed period and then become very symptomatic. Or she may continue to menstruate, but just the lows, the estrogen lows become lower. So the hallmark of perimenopause is that the, the ovarian production of hormones is more uh, is less predictable, and oftentimes the the estrogen levels they'll they'll get to a lower level during at least periods of the menstrual cycle. Um, the progesterone 
that that's produced with from the point of ovulation to menstruation um, levels tend to go down in perimenopause. So a lot of times women will have symptoms related to estrogen dominance, where their you know their estrogen is fluctuating up, fluctuating down. You know sometimes being insufficient, sometimes even flipping to the opposite extreme and being a little bit too high, but the progesterone levels are just kind of going down, down, down with every passing cycle. And sometimes the woman will have what's called an anovulatory cycle in perimenopause where they don't ovulate and they don't make any progesterone. So like if you have estrogen dominance, you may have like breast tenderness, breast enlargement, lots of fluid retention. Your periods might become heavier, clot have clots might might you might bleed earlier you may start spotting before the menstrual cycle and so you may find that you have again harder time sleeping more anxiety and so if you have those kind of like symptoms of estrogen dominance it's almost a no-brainer to begin working with some natural progesterone in a cyclical manner so that would be finding a doctor skilled at hormone balancing and working, you know, with some natural progesterone from about the, the midpoint of the cycle around day 14 through day 28. And so there's even some over-the-counter progesterone creams that are very low dose, but sometimes that's just enough to begin to kind of expand the cycle back out to close to 28 days, lighten up the periods a little bit, reduce the breast tenderness and, and the fluid retention and improve the sleep and kind of like even the mood in the premenstrual time. So the estrogen supplementation in perimenopause is certainly, you know, very individualized. Like sometimes women really need it and other women don't. Sometimes women need it only during certain times of the month and not at other times. And then, uh, Sometimes they need it some months, but not others. So it's it's very confusing in the perimenopausal time, and it gets a lot easier once a woman you know moves into the steady state of menopause. Um, but in the perimenopausal time, you know, I I end up teaching women how to listen to their bodies and how to understand when they need the estrogen, when they don't need it, um, or when to rise it and when to lower it based on their symptoms. And so there's a lot of doctors that understand how to do that. And it and I, it can just absolutely help the, the woman through the perimenopausal time. Mm. Um, the other sounds thing- sounds so much more intuitive. It like is. Actually teaching her how to understand what level yeah, she Yeah, I give women like handouts and say, okay, here are the low estrogen symptoms. Here are the high estrogen symptoms. If you have the low estrogen symptoms, use your, you know, I like to do bioidentical patches. That seems to be very helpful in perimenopause. There's of course creams and trochies and whatnot, but the patch is so steady state. It's so helpful. So I'll often say, you know, if you have these symptoms, put your patch on. If you begin having these symptoms, take it off or cut it in half, you know, like these things. So, um, so that you begin to kind of, you know, understand uh, what's going on. And then it, and I find it very helpful in the perimenopausal state to, to, to check levels periodically. So a woman can really begin to understand like, ah, this symptom is related to this level of estrogen. So they, so once you've done that a few times then you kind of know, okay, this is what's going on. You know, sometimes women, 
begin like having a hard time, like begin having urinary incontinence, vaginal dryness, you know, and then, and it's like, it's, if they just raise the estrogen a little bit fully goes away or they begin saying like, oh, I need to go get this out of the vacuum cleaner instead of refrigerator, or I need to go put this in, you know, the toaster instead of the washing machine. Like they, they begin doing these like word substitutions and they are like, come to me, like panicked, like, am I going into, you know, dementia or something? My kids are pointing it out. My husband, everyone's noticing. And then they put, put them on a little estrogen, totally goes away. So it's, it's like extraordinary how, how we're so, you know, the proper balance of hormones is so fundamental to our brain health, our moods, our sexual health, our energy, our resiliency to infection, et cetera. And um, so it's a very important thing to keep, keep tabs on it and really keep it balanced. The other thing that's absolutely fundamental to an easier path through perimenopause is adrenal support because the adrenal glands can make some estrogen for you. They can make some testosterone for you. So as your ovaries become less predictable in their production of those hormones, the adrenals try to pick up the slack. So if you're going into perimenopause in already an adrenally fatigued state, sometimes it's the straw that like broke the camel's back, your adrenals, it just pushes your adrenals further into a fatigued state and they cannot pick up any slack for your ovaries. And so then a woman will have a much more pronounced kind of like symptom situation during perimenopause and other women that have very healthy adrenals as they move into menopause, they, they kind of glide through that perimenopausal period much more gracefully. You find that women who are, have, you know, good adrenal function that sometimes they can actually, you say they sort of can glide through it. Um, are they able to sort of make that transition? Have you found without needing any hormone therapy at all? Once in a while. Yeah. Sometimes. Once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> not that often then sometimes i mean like it, there's mm. so much individual variability because even when you look at menstruating women there's a huge differential from you know with estrogen levels so sometimes people when some women are high estrogen some women are lower estrogen it's just the way it is so the women that are lower estrogen when they start going into menopause it's less of a difference so they tend to not have as hard of a time with it. The women with higher estrogen, they start going into, they've adapted to that. And then they go into perimenopause or menopause. It's a huge difference. And it's very traumatic in their body to also mm-hmm. lose this hormone. And then of course we have the testosterone, which is so important. And, and um, you know, at least 60 to 75% of the testosterone is made by the ovaries. And so that, you know, the loss of that affects metabolism and brain function and energy and just, just kind of mojo and libido and all of that. So, so again, the adrenals make, make testosterone for you and healthy, healthy adrenals can do a much better job of that. And, and so, you know, some women are more affected by the loss of their ovarian function in that regard than others. Interesting. The thing I've seen when I've worked with with clients in the US, which we don't seem to use so much here, and I think has actually caused quite a, a few problems for people I've seen, is when uh, they're given estrogen pellets. 
Um, oh. And that's obviously like that doesn't fit with your system of being able to like half the patch, take it off because they'll get these overwhelming symptoms. They're like, oh, my pellets are adjusting. I can't exercise. I can't do this. And it's almost like there's this massive dose of estrogen at the beginning. And then as it's petering out, they sort of feel it's insufficient as well. It, it feels difficult, that journey. I am so against pellets. Yeah, I do not like them at all uh, because of that. And um, yeah, you can't, once you put a pellet in, you can't take it out. Mm. So, I mean, there, and, and the, the insertion process is very violent. You know, you're using these large trochanters to like, you know, and put it in the, the buttock and leave scars. And, you know, if women, if that's their, their way of administering hormones over the time, their whole buttock is scarred with like, you know, at the insertion site, I've seen people come in with infections, and they have to go on antibiotics. Um, so for so many reasons, and then testosterone pellets are very common in the United States and, and poor women, sometimes they end up with like these, you know, with acne and hair loss and hair growth in unwanted places. And then they can't do anything about it until it wears off. And, um, you know, that's just, to me, such a kind of like almost like a <laughs> a masculine way of approaching things that's not respectful of the nuances of the body. And most often, to be fair, <laughs> I don't want to generalize, but when I've seen clients, it has been a male, yeah, doctor that they've been seeing, which is interesting. Um, what about progesterone? Some women seem to find it hard to tolerate. Have you found that? Yeah, it's rare, but it does happen that some women um, don't tolerate, first of all, oral progesterone well, because it, it can exacerbate uh, overgrowth of yeast in the gut. So it doesn't usually create a yeast problem out of nowhere, but if someone has a little bit of fungal overgrowth in the gut because of a diet rich in carbohydrates and maybe antibiotic use history or something like that, the progesterone can, can magnify that a little bit, kind of stimulates the growth of yeast and can cause a lot of intestinal disharmony. Um, some women have symptoms related to either oral or transdermal progesterone that's more along the lines of depression. Um, mm. so that's pretty rare, but some women have it. And and there, I find the occasional woman who just really can't take any form of progesterone. Um, but, but usually you can find a dose that a woman can tolerate in either a transdermal or a oral form. Okay. And you found it's interesting what you're saying there about the creams being effective, possibly in the early stages of perimenopause when the cycle's sort of just lengthening, because you can't sort of, well, they're dosed, aren't they, in terms of a pump, how much you're putting on, but I'm guessing you don't really know how much is being absorbed in that situation. They're absorbed quite well. And, okay. uh, you know, the over-the-counter creams usually have about 17 milligrams per gram um, or 17 milligrams per quarter teaspoon. Um, that's about the common over-the-counter dose. So yeah, I mean, just that little tiny bit can can sometimes be just enough in like the kind of perimenopausal time of life sometimes. Even chaseberry, the herb, can sometimes be enough. Like if you have a young or really early perimenopausal woman, if you're combining that with some adrenal support, 
that often can be enough for help and yeah. so kind of moving on then from a longevity perspective uh, and some of the treatments you offer both for longevity but also energy medicine uh, mm-hmm. what can women be thinking about doing I know you are you use red light therapy a lot for example um, PMF can you describe some of those treatments for people who are really trying to embrace their energy and vitality going into that second half of life absolutely yeah so um, a lot of our therapies are geared toward mitochondrial upregulation and optimization so mitochondria are the little energy factories within our cells that manufacture energy and uh, they take glucose from our food and oxygen that we breathe and run them through a series of chemical steps to produce ATP, which is the energy currency of the body. And the health of our mitochondria and how much energy our mitochondria can produce is really fundamental to the health of our cells and our body. And we age because our mitochondria age and become dysfunctional. And we develop diseases because of that as well. And so a lot of the, the, the therapies and the technologies in the kind of biohacking, bio-optimization space are really geared toward improving mitochondrial health. So for example, red light therapy. In our, in our center, we, do, we have three Novathor beds, which is a, was developed in the UK. Mm. Um, that's the best red light bed, I think. And it's got red and near-infrared light wavelengths. And that's been shown to upregulate mitochondrial function. So there's a, you know, in if you get granular with the, the, the chemical steps inside the mitochondria, it's called the electron transport chain. And there's three enzyme complexes. And the final one is called cytochrome C oxidase. And that enzyme is light sensitive. So it often gets blocked with nitrogen nitric oxide, which begins to diminish the the mitochondria's ability to make ATP. But the red light and the near-infrared light wavelengths will unblock that enzyme, like liberate it again so that it can function more fully. And that when the, the energy production goes up within the cell, then the cellular health improves, the, the person's health improves. And there's phenomenal research on a whole vast array of clinical conditions like neurodegenerative diseases and sports injuries and all of that. And the red light and near-infrared light has also been shown to modulate the immune system and release tissue-specific growth factors for healing and repair, like, you know, like growth factors that stimulate collagen production or brain-derived natural neurotropic growth factors to heal the brain and, and, and a, a variety of others as well, like IGF-1. So, so it's, it's an incredibly important therapy. And of course, you can also get these wavelengths of light from going outside, particularly in the morning. That's actually one of the main reasons why I go outside in the morning, because the, 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 free, the different frequencies of light vary according to the time of day. And right when the sun is cresting the horizon, you have a predominance of red and near infrared light wavelengths that are being emitted that can influence your mitochondria. Um, so we also do, like you were saying, pulsed electromagnetic field um, therapies. And I think about that as earthing 
are grounding kind of on steroids. You're, you're flooding your body with electrons. And our cell membranes, or all of our 37 trillion cells, are like batteries that need to be charged. And the higher the 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 more that our cell membrane is charged, the healthier the cell is. It's called the cell membrane potential. Electrons are negatively charged. So the more negative our cell membrane potential is, the healthier the cell. The more positive it is, the less, you know, the, the cell becomes more vulnerable to invasion with microorganisms. If it becomes more positive still, it becomes a setup for cancer. So we like to do therapies like, you know, of course, putting bare feet on the ground and pulling electrons up through your skin and your feet um, to charge your body and eating a high life force quotient diet um, that provides electrons in this kind of living food that, that will, you know, help to charge your cell membranes. But the pulsed electromagnetic field therapies will do it, you know, to a great degree. And it feels so good. Um, so we do have pulsed electromagnetic field in various forms um, that we use. Uh, one is in the, the hucket, which is an infrared ozone sauna that has the pulsed electromagnetic field. And then we have a lot of therapies that are geared toward frequency delivery. Um, because, you know, I talk a lot about this in my book, Your Pristine Blueprint, but every single thing has an, a unique energetic signature. So we have a unique energetic signature, which is really the collective signature out of all of our, you know, kind of molecules that make up our body, as well as our unique kind of energetic field, which is influenced by our soul. Um, so we have a unique energetic signature that as we go through life can become contaminated by foreign energetic signatures that are not harmonious with our bodies, such as the energetic signatures of pathogens or of toxins or of, you know, these accumulated unmetabolized emotions from traumatic experiences. These things can over time begin to disrupt our physiology. So, you know, we can begin to become aware of these things and clear them in meditative practices and kind of move our vibration up to the point where we can transmute these things to a degree, but we also have technologies now to identify aberrant signatures and send back corrective frequencies to, to clear those. So we um, have, do something here called resonance biofeedback therapy, and we are sending, we're measuring these kind of uh, aberrant frequencies in people and then sending back corrective signatures through scalar fields and through plasma. And that's called resonance biofeedback. And then, you know, then the, the body is red again and it's this constant biofeedback situation. And what have you found in that, um, with that treatment protocol? Do people need it, say, for a sort of concentrated period and then you, you leave a gap and they sort of have a break and they're fine and they come back? Or is this a little bit like red light therapies and ongoing treatment they should be having? Yeah, great question. It's often wrapped into protocols. Let's say someone comes in and they have cancer or they have like, you know, a kind of a very difficult autoimmune process or 
um, a complex, you know, you know, deep chronic fatigue because of multi-infectious disease, um, or let's say exposure to mycotoxins, or or it's more because of you know a lot of childhood traumas, or or usually it's a combination of things. Um, then we we wrap this into the protocols that we create for people. So we're working on all levels. So we're working on the physical level. Let's say we're treating infections with oxidative treatments or herbal therapies or occasionally antibiotics for short periods of time. Um, let's say we're balancing the hormones, we're um, you know, improving the microbiome in the gut. We're, we're, we're actually evaluating the person's diet and pulling allergenic foods out of the diet, improving the ratios of macronutrients in their diet that's right for their bodies and biochemistry. And then, you know, we're, we're working on this level of upregulating mitochondrial function with the, the, the different mitochondrial therapies we do, which I only named one. We have so many. Um, or we're working on, on identifying kind of aberrant energetic signatures and correcting those and then kind of digging deeper and, and looking some more. And ideally you're encouraging someone into a healthier lifestyle. That's really because someone doesn't need to come to our center to, to really heal. You are a living example of, you know, being able to heal yourself, um, you know, with your uh, kind of energetic work and awareness. And I am too. And so you know, this is something that's in, we all have the power to do and mm. we need to develop the healthy practices in order to do it. Yeah. Amazing. So one last question before you go, um, what would you say then for people on that ongoing basis? Say they don't have, like, they're not trying to heal a particular condition, but they just want to feel like their best self. I know you've mentioned your morning practice. What are the other things that you would say they need to embrace on a sort of daily or weekly basis to maintain that high energy and health span? Yeah, great question. So many things, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it, but it's fun. And it's, it's like, you know, just, you could, you can not only maintain high health, but, but a beautiful life if you incorporate these things. So I would say what looking at your sleep and beginning to, to, to monitor your sleep is a really fundamental thing for, uh, for healthy aging. Um, and that is, I I'm a big fan of the aura ring and I really encourage most of my patients to get them. And then data driving your sleep, looking at what's your percentage of deep sleep? Uh, what, how much sleep are you actually getting? How many times are you waking up at night? How much time are you spending awake versus asleep? Um, what's your heart rate variability when you were asleep? What's your heart rate when you were asleep? Um, so, so we're looking at lifestyle factors that influence and optimize the sleep. So going outside in the morning has been shown to optimize sleep. Avoiding blue light exposure at night has been shown to optimize sleep. Looking at what you eat, when you eat it, and how that affects your sleep. Some people do better making putting a little carbohydrate with dinner at night and having a more substantial meal in order to keep their blood sugar steady throughout the evening. Other people cannot eat too close to going to bed. Otherwise that's going to disrupt their sleep, but it's very unique to the individual. And you really don't know what is important for you unless you kind of really pay attention to it and you begin to day to drive it. 
So I, I encourage people to really track their sleep and, and, and do what it takes to optimize it. I find exercise plays an enormous role with sleep quality. For me, that's one of my main reasons why I exercise. If I don't exercise, I don't sleep well. And then if I don't sleep well, everything deteriorates. So, so anyway, exercise is important for everyone. And of course the, the intensity varies according to the individual. Some people can only do light exercise type practices of stretching and yoga and other people need more high intensity exercise in order to feel good um, and stoke their metabolism. And, you know, the person's adrenal health plays a huge role. Um, so then diet, I think diet is, is, is vital and really learning how you should be eating for the stage of life you're in. You know, there's no one diet that works for every person. And there's probably no one diet that's going to work for you your entire life. You need to look at kind of altering the ratios of the macronutrients you're ingesting based on what your caloric needs are, what your carbohydrate needs are as you grow and change and move into different stages of life. And that's kind of obvious, like a marathon runner is going to need different energetic input than a sedentary office worker, a young teenager versus a menopausal woman, you're going to need to eat different things. So, so just learning, you know, what works for you and sometimes tuning in, look, you know, definitely I have to say stepping on the scale, it's a great feedback tool and learning about your body composition and doing blood work that's measuring kind of insulin receptor sensitivity markers and looking at your cholesterol and blood sugar and insulin and hemoglobin A1C can begin to shed light on, you know, are you eating food that's jiving with your biochemistry at this stage of life? So that's hugely important. And then mindset, I think really working to become aware of your thoughts and the emotional responses that those thoughts engender because your the emotional response that you that kind of predominates in your being as you're going through your day very much is going to affect how well we connect with the field of energy and information that we are derived from and how well we can transmute the dissonant signatures within our system so the higher vibrational emotional states tend to have a transmuting effect on dissonant signatures and make you more resilient as you're going through life. And uh, sometimes it requires bringing some mindfulness to your day so that you're kind of monitoring your thoughts as you go through the day. So actually, so is what you're saying there by sort of keeping a sort of higher vibrational thought you're not attracting in quite so much of that negative sort of force that can disrupt things. Yeah. And yeah. then that involves everything like what, you know, who you, so what you choose to read, what kind of social media rabbit holes you go down, what kind of, what, what, who you like to associate with, what they like to talk about, what they like to, you know, um, what their energetic vibration is like all these things actually matter. And, and, because you, you know, you want my, my feeling is, is that I want to be mindful of, of my thoughts and these choices that I'm making so that I can 
kind of stay positive in my thinking and engender higher vibrational emotions so that I can have greater access to the energy and information of from the field and and have like a, a healthier physiology. I love the way you bring that in in the book. Um, for, for anyone listening, I definitely recommend go and pick up a copy of your pristine blueprint because in there you talk about the unified field and how it affects and all of these treatments we're talking about today. Um, I've had such a fun conversation talking to you and it's been so, so informative. Uh, so many takeaways. Where can people find more about you and your work and connect with you? Well, they can learn about my philosophies by reading my book or getting it out on audio. It's called Your Pristine Blueprint. And they can also um, follow me on social media. My Instagram is at Beth McDougall MD. And then you can find out more about our bio-optimization center, jizen.com, J-Y-Z-E-N, and uh, my personal website, bethmcdougallmd.com. Amazing. We will link to all of those in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been such a joy talking to you. Ah, thank you so much, Angela. What a great opportunity to talk. Love talking with you. Thank you. If you enjoy this podcast, visit femalebiohacker.com and be part of a special community of women looking to optimize their mind, body, and spirit. If you're tired of sifting through countless websites and books to find the answers to your questions about nutrition, fitness, hormones, mindset, spirituality, and biohacking, the search is over. I've done the research for you and every week we go live with in-depth masterclasses, Q&A calls and monthly challenges to help you transform your life. And when you join the collective, you'll have access to a wealth of information, including deep dive masterclasses and biohacking toolkits on our members' favorites like metabolic flexibility, gut health, stress and resiliency and stepping into your most empowered self. Get access and be coached by me and my team and level up your health, career, and life all for less than a dollar a day. Go to femalebiohacker.com or click the link below to get started. And I'll see you on the inside.